All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Hey, this is Unpaid Bill. This week's QLS Classic features journalist, author, and host of NBC's All In with Chris Hayes. We discuss politics, we discuss hip-hop, we discuss the Upper East Side. Originally released on July 4th, 2018. Enjoy. We'll hold your hand through the process. It's good. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Chris Hayes is here. Yeah. To explain the fear. Yeah. Of why I panic. Yeah. When I hear in the rear view mirror, <laughs> Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. The world's a mess. Yeah. These are the days. Yeah. To be all in. Yeah. With the Sugar Network. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Ivanka Trump. Yeah. Opens embassy. Yeah. Film at 8 p.m. Yeah. On MSNBC. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. I'm unpaid bill. Yeah. And here's my shtick. Yeah. You know it's time. Yeah. For politics. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. Okay. Suprema. Roll call. Okay, okay. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. It's been a while. Yeah. Since I had to rhyme. Yeah. I'm sitting here. Yeah. Just watching the time. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Now, see, it wasn't that bad, was not, it? Not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. Okay, listen. <laughs> Quest Love Supreme brought can you I by the Sugar something? Network. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, can I ask a technical question about our theme? Yeah. Okay, it, do you not hear any time it's the third person, person's turn to 
rhyme. Normally, it's you when Fonte's here. Do you not hear the sound of parking? Uh, boop, boop, boop. That's just on the track? Literally. Really? Literally. That's Every like time some I shit hear. in the background noise. All right. Well, the next time we do the theme song, I guess when we recorded the theme. Yeah, well, it, the recording's fucked up. Oh yeah. Yeah. And in between, if you if if nobody's rhyming, you can hear your guide in the background. What's the guide? Leaking through like, Right, but at what point was I in a car uh <laughs> reverse driving <laughs> to hear Yeah, no, that part's in your head. Yeah. It is not. It or it's a harmonic of something that's happening in it's the It's not in my head. Maestro, can we run the theme one more time? We're doing it all. Yeah. yeah hello. Uh, it, I always hear it. And I'm like looking at you guys like, do you not hear it? Do you not hear it? So wait, we have to do this all over again? Play the theme again. We're doing, yes, this is the first time. We're doing all new theme. No, it, listen to it without, without yeah. us singing that. Yeah, just yeah, listen yeah. to it. Okay. Nothing there. Suprema, su, 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 I can't believe I'm doing this <laughs> on my own show. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Suprema, oh god, this is where the, the chorus comes in. Yada yada. Okay. Okay, so then this is what Amir speaks. Yeah. And then I say something else. Yeah. And then here comes the setup. Okay. And then the punchline. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha Suprema. Shout su- out to Mark Kelly and Ray Angry. They sound great on this. Right. Well, the, the drums just drum themselves. Oh, the drummer. <laughs> you. Second. Yeah. Yeah. You can hear him. I, I hear a bunch I hear of somebody talking. Calls. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hear somebody talking. All right. Now, wait. Here comes the third one. You ready? Here we go. Someone's parking a car. Oh, I hear it. Yep. Yeah. It's a, hard, it's a, feed, it's a, yeah, feed, it's a feedback it's harmonic. A feedback. No, somebody out. In, no, that, that sounds like someone. All right, now we can lower it. Sounds or like it's that. someone backing up a goddamn delivery yeah, truck. That's what that sounds <laughs> Whatever. Like. <laughs> All right, you, you, you can lower the volume. Yeah, I'm just saying that someone was backing that thing up. Okay. ULS <laughs> <laughs> taking over for the 999. I don't <laughs> let the small shit slide. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is a very uh, deep political episode. <laughs> Already. <laughs> oh, yeah. Already. Thanks for pointing out the horrible engine. Politics on of that delivery thing. trucks and shit. I thought it was me. I, I don't know. I, th- I was like, did I make the theme in the car? I don't know. It just <laughs> it just happens every time. Hey, look, we have a guest. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Quest Love Supreme. Uh, we got uh, Sugar Steve of the Sugar Network uh, explaining to our guests how powerful his network is. <laughs> well, the long story short of what we're talking about is is this new feature that Instagram has, which, yes, allows you to interview somebody on this, on your live story where you're on the top right. and they're on the bottom. But and we we have a guest. Um, <laughs> we have we have double bill. We're, we're double billed today, Woo! unpaid and boss bill. Uh, and our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, he is a journalist. Uh, some say that he's the co-leader of the liberal media along with, <laughs> with Rachel Maddow. Uh, Bronx native, uh, Hunter College, and which is actually a high school. Hunter like, College High School, yeah, yeah, yeah which, which is, is weird, stupid. Yeah, oh no, Hunter I mean College. just the name. It's a wonderful high school. I used to live right near it. It's great. But. Uh, host of one of my uh, favorite MSNBC shows, and of course, after this election cycle, my station channel always stays on MSNBC. Uh, all in with Chris Hayes, and uh, probably author of the best uh, liberal splain uh, book. <laughs> 
of our imbalanced uh, system. I, I have to say, well written. I, I feel like it's almost uh, to, to date myself uh, a Cliff Notes. A Cliff Notes to people who are like sort of on the fence, exactly yeah. of you know, like those people that ask, like, well, they must have did something, and this this is the best liberal spleen <laughs> book. I actually, when I got it, and I got it like three days ago, I didn't think I was going to get through it in time for the for the. Um, the, the the our interview today, but it's an That's easy great. read. I got yeah, through that, it. That was sort of by design that people would. My favorite thing that people say to my two favorite bits of feedback from the book. One is that people are like, "Oh, I sat down, I I, I read it in one sitting, or I got through it really mm-hmm. quick." And two is for the for people that are, you know, I don't think the, the audience for the book. I don't think is people that are hardcore like you know blue lives matter and black lives matter or, right. or, or you know i and, and i'm not gonna i'm gonna boycott the nfl because colin kaepernick is kneeling yeah yeah like I, I it's gonna be hard to reach those folks but there's a huge swath of people particularly white folks that i think are generally sympathetic but also like that kind of mm-hmm. they must have done they did they did something right, right. there was a reason like there, yeah was it did he really and <laughs> the book is an attempt to try to walk people through Kind of some of the realities of what it, it, it actually it's looks like. it's 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 well it's well executed. Anyway, I, I haven't it? said his name. No, what's or, the name of the book? Well, I haven't said the author's oh, name okay. yet either. Let's see how long we're going. Yeah. Can I get to ten minutes without <laughs> even saying? Let's so, not try to. Steve, finish your uh, <laughs> yeah. Instagram. Instagram. So one night I was on Instagram <laughs> and ladies I was like, "I'm going to play." Wait, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome <laughs> the author the of again? Colony and a Nation uh, and our friend uh, Chris Hayes to Course Love for Free. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, before we get all to that, yes, Steve. <laughs> no, you we really don't have to off. go back. Well, we had a guest. That's your relationship. It's taken me 10 minutes to explain who he is. So the feature just <laughs> just came out recently, a few months ago, and I was just messing around with it one night, and I was super high, and I was like, I'm going to be Chris Hayes, and I'm going to interview a motherfucker. So I started, you can invite people. or you can invite I'm going to be Chris does it, Hayes. Does it just, how does, how does that invite request show up on someone's, um, account it, like you two have to mutually follow each other, right? So uh, following please, each please other. make that happen. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> uh, yeah, I should. I don't know. Um, you can either invite them or they can invite you. It's obvious something pops up, and you 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 know you both have to be cool with it. Right. You can't just right, show right, up right, right. on somebody's screen. Well, you can do that too. Um, mm, I've there's no way. They, Maybe you have to be verified. I don't. I have special. Ooh, pa- ooh, shut the shit down. Wow. Maybe I have special <laughs> powers. Yes, verified people can just. C- Hack your phone. Yes. <laughs> well, no, You've got the blue I, check mark. You I have. have yeah. There's, there's a list of people that I'm following that are following me that I can talk to. Illuminati. Right? And then if I want to interview Erica, I can also search for her name. I have an option that lets me search for her name, press her, and if she accepts. And if she accepts. Yeah. And then you go, and then you go live and it, anyone And who, people watch. It's a voyeuristic right, game. Right, people right. watch each other interview each other. So Steve is... Taking us actually to the next level. Like, yeah, I got to a few hundred people going, you know, in in the network. And do you like, find it unnerving to watch in real time how many people are watching? Meaning what? How few people are watching? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I find something bizarre. Like when we'll we'll do a Facebook live before the show, mm-hmm. and my whole life in a weird way gets you know we get the ratings every day at four fifteen, and in, at MSNBC we get a spreadsheet, and it, it matters a lot. Like what kind of numbers you're doing, it 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 resonates throughout the building. You know, so in a weird way, my a lot of my professional life is oriented towards this number, mm-hmm. 
and I find something unnerving about the instant feedback as you're talking of like seeing the number go up and down. <laughs> like it's some kind of yeah. oh, it must dystopic, be like you say the like wrong thing, and it goes, absolute mm-hmm. extremist version of mm-hmm. let me perform in the way what will maximally maximally get people to and you hate it when it attention. trickles down. Exactly. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? Say Come something back. smart. Say Come something back. smart. Come back. It's um, most people will probably sit for a good eight nine seconds. Right. Um. And I noticed that. I mean, one time I had a very magical moment happen on my uh, feed where it was like at an actual D'Angelo rehearsal. <laughs> with, oh, yeah. I did, with, I did one of those, too. With common. No, I'm just saying that. It was like <laughs> even, even, yeah. even at a D'Angelo rehearsal for the Roots Picnic, like, you know, if my numbers went to ungodly like four figures. And then right. about 15 minutes later, it went down to like 300. Which, you know, maybe it is kind of ridiculous to, but the thing is that your people. <laughs> I was at that rehearsal. It got kind of boring as it went on. Yeah. Wait, it was? Uh-huh. Oh, just see, my like, shows don't, that, that hit, doesn't happen. It just drifts. Like, it was like, it was all hitting and then everybody sort of just went for a walk and it kind of went away. And then Yeah, but I mean, I, I think just the, 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 the art of, or the, the, the task of watching someone have a conversation yeah. Plus, I mean, you. One of the things that I learned, one of the kind of crash course realities of this job is keeping people's attention is hard. You, you, it, it, that's it's work to to keep people's attention. You know. So okay, as as a fan of of uh, uh, what was uh, the show on HBO? Uh, okay, I'm gonna take the the long scenic route. Uh, Star Dumb and Dumber, Jim not Jim Carrey, the other one. Jeff Bridges. His New- show on HBO about News- Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Jeff Thank Daniels. you. Newsroom? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, Newsroom. Newsroom. Yeah. Okay. All right. So when you're on the air, is there a, do you have a, an, an earpiece in which there is a yeah, producer so, like, okay, now ask about this. And then. So we, yeah. So you're, you're always passionate to the control room through what's called an IFB, right? So you got an earpiece mm-hmm. and, um, there's a really wide spectrum of how active the control room is in that in questions. In my case, almost never, I would say a few times a week, the control room will say, will suggest a question, but it's, it's very rare, partly because I get, I get super annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it throws you off your rhythm. It just feels like backseat driving. It's like, I like I'm at the wheel. So don't tell me to make a left here. I know, I know what I'm doing. Um, that, other people have different feelings about that. That's my feeling about it. Does that depend on the relationship you have with your producer? I think it does. It depends on, you know, the different shows have a different balance between how host-driven and how producer-driven they are. Different hosts have different levels of comfort of asking questions in the moment. Like, some want questions pre-written in prompter to go through that they've already done through, like, a, a process. Some don't want anything in prompter. They just want to kind of think in the moment, which is usually the way I am. Like, I kind of know what I want to ask, but I want to be... One of the things I think that happens is if you script it too much... Kind of like this show. You don't listen, right? Because one of the things that can happen is if you've got your idea about question one is this and question two, and you ask question one, what you're doing in your head is, okay, uh-huh, yeah, I'm, uh, now I'm on question two, as opposed to, wait, what are they saying? Engaging. <laughs> um but but I think it it varies a lot. The person the person I talk to the most, which are, is the line producer on the show, who's the person who keeps time, which is a key part of 
the whole right. you know she's the drummer <laughs> right she's the drummer for the show so we we got to figure out you know we got to bring things in at certain moments and we got to hit our marks to make a show because it's live right it's a zero sum you go long here you got to go short here you go you got to cut something here and she's the one with cues a minute got to get to break okay we're over so i'm not certain if if all in is the type of show that deals with real time this justin but certainly or surely with the time that we're living in, especially with, yeah, you know who behind it wheel, that can happen. Any even this morning, like you know, Hallie Jackson had an entirely different show plan, and then she got four thousand pages probably of transcripts, and then she got she got a, a, a this just in, yeah, and then it how how much on your game? Well, I know you have to be on your game, but how annoying is it that at any moment? Yeah the world can fall apart and you have to be <laughs> fluid and explain and knowledgeable. And it's, it, it can be, it, it's both, I would say it's invigorating and thrilling in its own way because it, there's a certain adrenaline to it when something happens at seven fifteen and it's like, okay, we're making decisions. What's okay. This is the new a block. Then what gets kicked out? Then a goes down to B, then B gets killed. Or do we keep the guests there and then we move to C or do we mm-hmm. move to G like, and you're making all these decisions very quickly. One of the, the blessings. And I, I, I imagine it's actually this way on The Tonight Show, that there's a bizarre blessing of having a live show at 8 o'clock in that you, you, we don't have an option not to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, if news breaks at 7.15, whatever happens in those 45 minutes, the show comes on air at 8. Yep. <laughs> and there's, there's something weirdly relieving of stress about that because if it was like, no, it has to be perfect, we can let's wait till eight twenty five to make sure that it's perfect. Manny Is that Patinkin. Manny Patinkin? Hey, Manny Patinkin. Hey, how are Just you? Just so wow, that's the most wild thing that's Just ever <laughs> happened to me in my life. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. We just got up the ante. Mandy Patinkin <laughs> here. Mandy Patinkin just randomly walks in a room. Whoa. Star of Homeland. Yeah. Yeah. Come on yeah. in. You want to be a part of it? Just. My, my wife's a big fan. Oh. Well, we're. <laughs> we're. <laughs> hey, guys. Yes. No, no, you're on no, a no. podcast. Hey, this is how are you? Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? How are you? Good, good. This is fucking awesome. Hi, how are you? Man, it's good to see you again. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Very nice to meet you. What are you podcasting? Uh, I have a, a, a podcast, and Chris Hayes from MSNBC is the, the, the host of it. Yeah. He's the host. Oh, well, I'm the guest. I'm the You're guest. the host. He's the guest. I don't know who I am right now. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Oh, it's a copy of my book. Yeah. Absolutely. That would be my great pleasure. Okay, guys. All right. All right. Thank you, Mandy. You're a legend. Patinkin. You're a legend. Wow. Literally. That was the fucking best thing that ever just happened. Thank you for being on Chatting with Sugar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. 
I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Can I tell a Mandy Patinkin story when you're when <laughs> done? On when Wait, can we interrupt your uh, No, of course, yes. Wait, hit me. I was working on a musical, and Mandy Patinkin was going to be in it, and he uh, came and sang and delivered and told all these stories about his mother and his he's a very fascinating human being i could talk about him for a long time but that was an awesome cameo in quest love supreme only on pandora sugar network fucking manny patinka that gotta, was amazing do we gotta get him to sign some shit we'll just cut it out. no <laughs> we can't we can we can. <laughs> no he has to remain i mean we didn't amazing. get d'angelo to sign for his thing yeah just uh, d'angelo yeah. didn't say shit though yes he did did he yeah it's he more it's more, it's more R&B. R&B. And then he walked he out. Of Wait, what was the question to? I can't remember. It was a print something. Probably. It was more R&B. And then he went to get cigarettes and never came back. <laughs> like Dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Man, he's so, um, what's the right word? Like, he is so entirely himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, I, you, I, you would expect that, but mm-hmm. that, that was what I would expect Mandy Patinkin to be like. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. Wow. That's, that was great. What was, you're the host of the show now, so what else? <laughs> you told me I'm the host. What else do you want to ask? Basically, you kind of just got you an example of, of shit, when something dude. crazy happens in the middle of a show, and then you just yeah, gotta, and I lose control. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you were just talking about how you how you react to in the moment improvisation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could never that, be on that. And you I, got all flustered. You were like, oh, "He's he's the host of my show." Wait, I'm Chris Hayes. What was, <laughs> that's Quest. What was your very first uh, journalist assignment like? What is what is the road that leads yeah. to you having your own show so, and is there an internship that leads like did you work at a newsroom and i i came up a, a, a sort of a weird way and in in a way that doesn't really exist anymore partly because the ecosystem i came through has all died off a little bit um i graduated from college and was really into theater and moved to chicago with my then girlfriend now wife and which in chicago super cheap i don't know if any of you have ever lived in chicago but it is a great place 
if you're 22 and broke because it it's so much cheaper than New York. It's so much cheaper than LA. The winter sucks, but there's a lot of people in Chicago doing a lot of really cool stuff because people pay nothing for rent and there's like people playing shows in the abandoned buildings and doing theater and photography. And, and I was there doing theater and also freelance writing and, and started right. Yes. Sorry. What'd you major in there? Just I majored in philosophy. Okay. Yeah. I majored in philosophy. I was doing theater and I was, I started writing for the Chicago reader, which is like the alternative weekly there. It's like the village voice, mm-hmm. uh, Washington DC city paper like that. And I started freelancing and got, had more and more success doing that. Started writing for more publications, like online liberal publications. I got a job at a, a a lefty magazine called In These Times. I then got hired by the Nation, and then my wife got a job in Washington D.C. clerking on the Supreme Court in 2007. We moved to Washington D.C. She was clerking for Justice Stevens, which was an amazing thing to see up close. And I became the I through complete accident <laughs> the longtime washington bureau chief of the nation magazine david corn left to go to mother jones three months after i moved to dc mm-hmm. and they're like oh we need a new bureau chief and they interviewed me and they gave me the job and from that i started appearing on television as a talking head pundit head of the yeah i'm the washington bureau chief of the nation so what, what do you think about and this was in the sort of last year the bush administration and the 2008 campaign and the financial crisis and all that but stuff. how often does that happen usually don't you have to like Work your way up the ranks out of paper, and so yeah, it was it was a bunch of accidents. So and timing I th- was perfect. Timing, timing, okay. and I think the fact that I had a little, I had a background in theater. I'd acted. I had a little bit of a performance background. I like to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that was you know you have we try people out on TV all the time, and talking on TV is a very specific and weird skill that is different than talking. It's different than being an interesting person. It's just a weird skill. You sit in a room, you stare into a camera. It, it you don't have any of the physical cues that come like right now we're all looking at each other like you're nodding your head when I say something which is a nice encouragement I keep going <laughs> but you don't have that in a in a right. TV studio it's it's a weird and alienating experience oh you're saying even that's more different than this than what we're doing right now oh yeah because yeah, I feel definitely. like this exposes everything about me whereas I'm better tweeting and typing thoughts than this than I am because I, I have to edit. think about things and right. yeah and edit where I'm even two years into this. I'm not. I feel like I'm not fluid at all. And well, that I, I would disagree with that. But I would say that it's really interesting. Ask Bill. People have people have different experiences of how they, you know, how they talk and how and how easily that kind of that form of communication comes to them. And I think I had a sort of aptitude for it. And so, what happened was I started getting booked more and more as a guest. Eventually, in 2010, I was asked to guest host a show for Rachel. That was a huge deal. I went down to New York a day early. I read off the teleprompter as practice. I was nervous AF. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the um, I, w- I was so nervous. Right. Um, and then I did it, and it went well. Uh, and it rated well. And then I started guest hosting more and more often. And the more I guest hosted, then I moved from that to a weekend show and from the weekend show to an evening show. So it was, it was a very strange route because I came through – kind of liberal, lefty, magazine, alternative weekly journalism on the print side. I was a writer, always a writer. I didn't have any TV background. I didn't intern at a local station. I wasn't a, a news anchor at a you know station in Des Moines or you know people move from smaller markets to bigger markets. I came in this completely different direction and kind of had to learn TV as I went. Wow. So, well, wow. Chris. Like you. Yeah. You had to learn TV as you went. So did I. I went. Hey, Chris. So what... What percentage of your 
current job is journalism? What percentage is performance? Mm. Let's say it's a great, great question. Um, I, know, o- I only ask great questions. You should tune <laughs> in. Tonight. I, I, to imagine your Instagram yeah. channel is amazing. <laughs> the eight-hour extended Mandy Patinkin interview. Holy shit! <laughs> the ring cycle of Instagram <laughs> interviews. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I, you know. Look, we, I try to, I, I basically am consuming things all day and I'm trying to report every day, which means that I'm constantly in contact with a bunch of different people in different areas. But, you know, the staff is, you know, we've got 25 people to make an hour of TV and so much of it is taken up with just getting that thing on the air. Um, if we had a, I would love it if we had a newsroom where we were sending people out, you know, we dozens of reporters to do enterprise journalism every day. Um, in terms of what I'm doing, I think it's a combination. I mean, you kind of can't separate the performance part from it because if the performance part isn't there, then people are not going to watch. <laughs> mm. But the interviews, you know, my favorite, we had someone on last night, we had a political reporter who wrote a great piece about basically the Trump administration bur- burying a report that came from their own administration about the toxicity levels of certain chemicals in water. Mm. And they were like, oh, let's not release this. It'll freak everyone out. And my favorite moments that happen on TV are when I'm learning something live in the moment from the interview, because that feels like I'm making discoveries. So we talked to this reporter. She was great. I learned from her. I learned things I hadn't learned even in reading her piece. And I try to get as many of those moments as I can in the show, where as opposed to some pre-rehearsed thing where I throw a lob and you dunk it, (laughs) that I'm actually like, we're actually reacting to each other and I'm learning things in real time. Um, So... All right, similar to the comedy world, where save uh, news of the week. All right, all right. So say as of this cycle or this uh, us speaking right now, uh, uh, Kanye opinions are like a thing right now in the comedy world. Where right? yeah, Kanye is so crazy, right? Or it, even <laughs> right. t- just, Kanye takes. Let's go. T- you know, years ago, where where it was always OJ jokes, that yep. sort of thing. Um. With the way that your particular channel runs, if everyone is telling the same story, mm-hmm. is that just with the thought in mind that there's no one watching this show concurrently like nine hours in a row and that you just have to refresh and retell the story again and I'll take Stephanie Rule's take on it and right. Hallie Jack- And so, but what, is there... Is there cool- I mean, I don't want to say a competition thing. No, but no. Like, are cr- you guys dreaming of like, okay, I'm gonna this is gonna be my Bob Woodward totally moment, or, or you know, my Carl Bernstein? I I would say that who's gonna play me in the movie when I <laughs> when I bust this story open? Well, I, you know, it, it's it's a balance between the two. So there's two competing impulses. I think one is you don't want to run the same show over and over, and repetition's a real problem, um, and it's a real challenge. And there's, I think, partly. You, we can't think of it as, okay, someone's watching the network for four hours because it's a little like 10-10 wins here in New York City, mm-hmm. right? Like traffic and weather together every 12 minutes because people are just cycling through. Right. And so it's like, well, I already know the traffic and weather. It's like, well, you, <laughs> other people are coming to it. We got to tell them what's up. So there's a little bit of that, right? So a certain amount of repetition. At the same time, you do want to distinguish the shows. And the real the real tar- hard part is, and I, you know, I say this about TV all the time, which is that plants grow towards the light. And what I mean by that is you can have a a garden in your backyard and you can plant everything all nice and spaced out. And if you come back six months later and light is only hitting one part, all of the plants have grown over here. And the light is 
ratings, attention, what people are paying attention to. And so what will inevitably happen is people chase the stories that they feel like there's the most juice in, that there's the most attention in, and that leads to a certain inescapable level of redundancy about what the stories of the day are. Not always defensible. I think sometimes that there's certain myths get embedded in people's heads about what people are interested in. There's a little bit of a bubble that can happen, which is that you work in this building where the TV's on all day. So you're constantly looking up at cable news and you're like, oh, they're talking about X. X is the thing we should talk about. <laughs> so I actually try to keep the TVs off in my office for that reason. Okay. Precisely because I don't want to. So be, you're not influenced? I just don't want to be overly influenced by what everyone in cable news is talking about all the time because then you can have a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy about that. But that's, it's a challenge. We have a bunch of meetings throughout the day in which the production staffs of the different shows actually huddle and talk about what their respective rundowns are and try to make sure that we're not all doing the same show. Okay, so without being too uh, biased towards whatever my cable news preference is, right? Um, I think... There was a, I was in a a, a a waiting room in an airport once, and that's probably the longest I've been in a place in which Fox News was constantly running. Um, well, they did some weird thing where Fox News was on this television, but then behind me was CNN uh, in the same room playing at the same time. <laughs> that must have been a lot. Yeah, it was. Well, it Sounds was like unpleasant. A, yeah. One of them large like waiting room things. Um. And so then it finally hit me why Fox News' ratings is how it is. One, I didn't know that they exploited women uh, mm -hmm. that much to that level. It's like practically every journal, e even if it's with a male journalist, there's always a leggy, yes. thigh, stiletto-heeled, yep. young blonde journalist. And I was like, oh, this is why everyone's watching Fox. Like, if I finally got it. Because in my head, I'm like, people can't. I know people want to accept the reality that they accept. I mean, I feel as though of the three, the big three networks that you guys tell the truth mm -hmm. of what's happening, regardless of, of, of what it is. But is there, because there was a point where a lot of my favorite shows were getting pushed to the side. Like, suddenly... Ronan didn't have his show in the afternoon, and uh, the, the Joy the went circle. off Daily Show, and the, Joe and, and the Torres thing, right, yeah, and yep. like a whole bunch of MS. Yep. MB and I was fearing that, oh God, they're trying to, they're feeling the pressure of Fox News. Like, will they adjust? Or I didn't know if it was new management, but how do you fear that one day there will be the hammer comes down? It's just like, okay, people aren't here for the truth anymore and we gotta you know i actually i sort of experienced this in reverse because when we launched the show in 2013 interest in politics was at a real low point i mean barack obama has been reelected. congress is in the hand of republicans there's this kind of stalemate mm -hmm. you know and people just were like eh, i'm kind of done with politics i think the i think barack obama's re-election particularly was like okay that's the end of that chapter mm -hmm. right like the I can go on with life. Yeah, now. like we had George W. Bush, and then like this crazy, insane financial crisis, and also the, the this crazy, insane campaign, and also we elected the first black president, and then it was like, is he going to get reelected? And then he did, and it was sort of like, okay, well, we've got a sort of narrative arc here. Um, well, there was a dangerous four good. years of extremely, yeah, but but people, a lot of people checked out, and we saw it in the numbers. I mean, so 
my experience is I've been doing the show for five years. 2013, we started 2013, 14, 15. Those were lean years. And that's when a lot of those shows were getting canceled. And I think it was a combination of there was new management that came in, but also everyone was kind of struggling, trying to figure out what gets people's attention. I mean, you remember the missing plane thing, right? When Mm -hmm. the plane went missing. And that was, that became this running joke, understandably, because it was insane how much cable news covered it. Mm -hmm. But people were covering it out of desperation because it was, it was the only thing rating. (laughs) It's like you couldn't, you couldn't get people to. Did we ever find that plane? No, no, no. It's crazy. Okay. Yeah, that's that's one of those for where did we end up up on that files? Yeah. Like where where did we end up on the plane? <laughs> oh, that I know, is. I know there was it was missing, but and they thought they found it, but they right. didn't. It's gone. So so what's happened instead over the course of our trajectory on the show is that we now have we've got four four times as many viewers as we had, you know back in 2013, 2014, the lean years. And my feeling, I feel like if the viewers are there, we're there. But TV's fickle. I mean, TV's rough. It's like it's like the restaurant business in New York City. <laughs> like, so you don't of, even feel uh, secure in your position now as a anchor of I that feel, show? I feel, I feel the, I will say this. I feel the most secure I've ever felt. Like, I have a contract. I'm going to be there through you know through 2020 you know barring something completely unforeseen um and and i feel as secure as i've ever felt but i have also i also understand that it's a crazy business and you know people things blow up all the time and things get canceled they get moved around it's just the nature of the business and you got to kind of be a little at peace with that otherwise you're going to stress yourself out all the time all right y'all You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... Actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. 
and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Normally, well, we kind of worked our way backwards, but I always start at your beginnings. Can I just ask one more question yeah. before yeah. we go backwards? Um, and speaking of like fickle and TV and stuff, um, Trump fatigue. So I'm kind of a news junkie, or I was, and now I'm kind of like I have Trump fatigue. You've hit you've hit your point. Yeah, I stopped. That's interesting. And well, it's sort of correlated with the beginning of, of chatting with sugar. So I just <laughs> I don't really do anything anymore except that. But um, but no, in in all seriousness though. Um, do you get that? Do you yeah. have that? Are you getting that? Do you fear having that? I, uh, yeah, I feel it sometimes. Um, I think, you know, there are times where it feels a little like being trapped in a dysfunctional or toxic um, relationship <laughs> or a toxic household. Like, I've been very lucky in my life that the people that are closest to me, I haven't had to deal with people very close to my life that are really toxic personalities. Mm. People do. People have parents that are toxic personalities. They have partners that are, you know, siblings. Like people deal with that. They deal with that all the time. I've been very lucky. My loved ones aren't, not, you know, aren't like that. I feel like I have this weird experience of it now because so much of my day is dominated by uh, the president of the United States and what he's doing. And 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 yeah, I think I have some craving to get outside that a little bit. We just we actually just launched a podcast. Um, that called why is this happening where i get to have kind of longer conversations with people and outside of the specifics of the daily news cycle that tends to be so driven by the president mm. and partly i think that's because that's nurturing of need i have <laughs> to that, talk about to someone understand. else yeah talk about other stuff i mean just just to talk about you know i've been trying recently i just find myself so trapped in the news cycle just for my job that i've been trying to like read more books and i just you know, read novels and <laughs> but, don't, but don't you think like I listen to all your podcasts on the way in and 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 what, as far as you try to get away from them, they all circle back to Trump and what's going on now. Like the conservative one, the it's all it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> it's I like mean, as far out as you go, you always get sucked back into this that, thing. Like it, that's a good point. It was although, like the Middle East and was all about like, but then it was like Kushner, what's going on in the Middle East? Like totally. every one of them. Yeah, no, and I think as we go further, I think we want to try to push to go further afield. Sure. Part of it also is, I mean, the so the funny thing about that, right? This comes back to this question about you know the plants growing towards the light. So I was like obsessively looking at. The, the podcast numbers last night because yeah. I'm a crazy, compulsive, addicted junkie. Sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. You this is, this, well, is, the, this <laughs> is the... No, I, I stopped looking at my Metacritic numbers like maybe <laughs> three, three months ago. But yeah, one point, man, like... Well, it's so toxic. sick. That we all do toxic. it. Everyone. I do it too. It's terrible. Yeah. Authors, man. You talk to authors. They sit there just hitting refresh on that Amazon page. Look at the <laughs> ranking. And it's like, it's uh, crazy. Don't even get me started with that shit. Yeah. It's crazy. But, so I was looking at it last <laughs> no, night and, and sure enough, right? We, we put out three episodes and one of them is, one is very explicitly about Trump and how he fits into conservatism. And lo and behold, that's the best performing one. Yeah. Right? <laughs> which, which, which is not that surprising because the... Even if there are people, I think, like yourself, and I think that's not an uncommon experience, this sort of fatigue, there's also just this insatiable desire to try to understand. But it also felt like the most on. relatable. Sorry to interrupt you. It felt like the most relatable, the one about conservatism, too. Huh. It was very black and white to me. It was like, this is the, the, guy, the guy you had on was Corey very, Robin, yeah. yeah, it was very explicit about what he, it, it, it yeah. felt very clear to me. Yeah. Is it hard to not um, 
insert your personal beliefs into uh, a situation and be neutral. Because the thing is, is that this is the first time in which I'm seeing uh, being neutral being a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I guess I would. You're not neutral. I've, yeah, I mean, you define well, no, yourself. No, 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 I know that. But I'm just saying that is it. The days of, you know, you not knowing where Walter Cronkite. <laughs> this, this, yeah, this may take a while. <laughs> Walter Cronkite. Sure. Yeah. Uh, with Walter Cronkite or Peter Jennings or whatever. Right. Like the days of just asking a question. Yeah, it's done. And you, you know. You, yeah, I think that the model that we have and that I have is is that I'm not neutral, that I have a set of beliefs and a worldview that people know and are familiar with. But I, we we try really hard on the show to be what I would say would be fair and to be open-minded, to not take cheap, cheap shots, to not um to not just tell ourselves things that feel good, to not be hacks, right? So that oh, well, this Republican was accused of sexual harassment and ergo that person's terrible and we're going to do a hit piece segment on them and then the next day this democrat was accused of sexual harassment like we're just going to keep that out of the show okay like the other night for instance half 40 minutes before we went to air eric schneiderman the new york attorney general there was a piece in the new yorker right devastating horrifying piece in which he's alleged to be this just sort of psychotically Dis- disgusting abuser. I mean, with with women in his Ronan's life. Ronan's piece. Yeah, Ronan's piece. Yikes. What Ronan does, man. People on the re- <laughs> people on the record. Women on the record talking about this horrible physical and verbal abuse from him. And it broke at seven twenty. And I was like, we're, we're this. We're doing this in the show because Eric Schneiderman's been on our show, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's important that this we don't. You know, mm-hmm. if you were a Republican, we do it. If you're a Democrat, we do it. So there's a level at which like we have our worldview, but we also are not just out there trying to play for a team, which is really important to me. Like that we are good faith arbiters from the perspective of a set of values as opposed to a perspective of one of two tribes or one of two colors or one or two teams. But like when you were coming up, we're fairly the same age. Like like you were saying, I feel like Peter Jennings and Dan Rather, they're all like trying to be the face of neutrality and try to present both things. When did you decide to really define yourself as being liberal? Because like your Wikipedia page, it says a liberal commentary. It's like, it feels like that's something you're very proud yeah. of or whatever. Or well, you for wanna... me, for it started, I mean, it went the other way. So people, people that come up through TV have to be neutral, I think, as they come up. Because if you're the, you're reading the news in Des Moines or in Broward County or wherever, you got it. That's the way the business model works. And then if you, you know, you work your way up uh, past that and you're doing other stuff. For me, I started as just a, a, a writer writing for explicitly ideological publications where everybody knew. So The Nation magazine and In These Times and Chicago Reader to a certain extent, like they were places where that was just part of the social contract with the reader. Like <laughs> the reader right. understood. They knew what they were getting. Yeah, they, yeah. And and I think, you know, I, I read a lot of a lot of different stuff from different ideological corners that I really like because to me, the big, the most important thing is just to be honest and upfront, and not be um, deceptive, right. right? So the the sort of sneak attack, the kind of like, oh, well, this is just when you're smuggling stuff in and you're not telling them, as opposed to you're saying like, hey, I'm a conservative and here's why I think 
you know, X about the tax cuts or X about our cultural rod of Hollywood or whatever it is, that's interesting to me. And I can, I can engage with that. It's the, it's the, it's the bad faith deception that I find a little unnerving. Well, actually, well, this could lead us into, um, a colony and a nation, which I always felt that the term liberal was sort of a dog whistle term that conservative media has come up with, uh, when they describe a journalist that considers uh, black people, gay people, uh, brown people, uh, anyone not under the white male right. uh, hetero uh, kind of umbrella as equals. I always felt as though that has been the sort of dog whistle term of which you you there's a, there's a great part of in chapter four where you really explain the the genesis of the idea of white fear and that uh the 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 fear of losing Mm -hmm. knowing acknowledging that you have an advantage and that one day it could be lost and i almost feel as that's where that falls under so even i mean i consider when i hear liberal i i feel that that's the hidden the, the hidden four-letter word that, I mean, basically is you're telling the truth. Right. In my opinion. But, of course, like, the way that we're, we're programmed and built today, that it's it's kind of like, you know, you have to preface with, you know, I'm neutral and I'm that sort of thing. So, I, I like, how do you feel when you hear that title? I don't, you know, it's funny. Liberal, I never feel, I don't feel like there's really a, great term that I feel like I want to embrace. Like liberal doesn't feel quite right. Progressive doesn't feel quite right. Leftist doesn't feel, none of those feel quite right. I don't know what the right term is. Like what does a Fox journalist call themselves? Oh, you know, they say they're unbiased or they're, um, you know, I think Sean Hannity calls them. I think that's not true. I think Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, they would all call themselves conservatives. I think they would say that they were conservatives. Um, I, um, I think if I were to, you know, my biggest commitment I would, and this is a, a word that you, I think sounds annoying if you go around calling yourself this, but an egalitarian. I mean, I'm like, I'm really, my worldview is really ordered around equality and getting to equality and what a society with real genuine that took equality seriously would look like and what that would mean for full human flourishing. I mean, you know, it's easy, I think, sometimes to lose sight. Everything gets so cramped of like, what is the project? <laughs> why why are we as humans why do we build a democratic society why do we do any of this what's the idea behind this all and the idea is is to facilitate human flourishing the idea is for, for everybody has an opportunity and a chance and is given the tools to flourish to do things they love to do things they enjoy to um be in relationships that are fulfilling to them to um go on vacations and and play on the beach i mean that's that's the that's the vision here and there's a bunch of questions about how do you get that vision but to me the when we have hierarchies and categorical systems that put some people on one side of a line and some people on the other of it whether that's through the way the economy works or in the case of a colony nation policing like that's the fundamental thing that I'm taken with that I think about is is are those hierarchies and that and and getting to equality and sort of ways that we can upend those hierarchies. When when you were a kid, what were your aspirations as far as what you thought you were going to do 
as an adult when you were six or seven years old? Well, when I was six or seven, I probably wanted to be a basketball player, okay. <laughs> to be honest. Um, that did not work out. Um, I was like barely a high school varsity basketball <laughs> player, so I was, I was a long way. Okay. Um, but that philosophy degree from Brown. Yeah, was... <laughs> yeah. Weirdly. Um, yeah, I knocked around the D-League for a bit. But um, no, I, I would say that the two biggest things I thought about was something in some kind of way of like, I think I always wanted to perform in some ways. And then I think I, th- I wanted to be, I really wanted to be an intellectual, even at a really young age. Like I wanted to be a, a, a professor, you know, I want to be someone who learned for a living and wrote books for a living and, you know, engage with other people about ideas. And that, that I think I wanted to do that even when I was really, really young. I think seven, eight, nine, probably I, I, wa- I wanted to do that. That's weird because I feel like I was just forced into that position, like forced intellectualism. No, I mean, just forced into the, the whatever the teacher role that people expect me to be. Then I was like, well. What the fuck? Okay. But what did cool. you? What did you want to be? <laughs> no, I was I was going to be a musician, and then from, from 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 real young, from the age of two. But the thing was, is that because did you come from or your my 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 family? I came from a musical think think the Black Partridge family. So right. I, I came from that sort of environment. But now that I think about it, it's either you're going to be a musician and uh, pursue and create art. Which I think I did. Yeah. Uh, but then I get equal amounts of pleasure of studying other people's method of making art. Mm-hmm. So it's like, would I rather, you know, uh, go batshit crazy over watching other people make art and marvel over it and figure out the process of how they did it versus me just doing it myself, right. like my version of it. And I actually think that the former is what huh. I gravitate towards. So, Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story. 
which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I always think to myself, if, if I could be given any power or ability in the world, I mean, the honest and lame answer is probably dunk a basketball. But but if you put that <laughs> you put that aside, like really dunk. I mean, like really. <laughs> I don't mean like the just get me over. No. Like, Wait, I, did you have like a I'm the dude on YouTube where, like, who you trained tri- for ten months. Right. And, I mean, like, like throw, throw down, down, throw yeah. down. But but that but I would say after that the the number one thing would be to like write a great song. I, that to me seems like the ultimate superpower. Like to walk through Earth. And being able to do that. See, that's weird. I'd rather that, discover a great song. Like in my mind, oh, I really? know, fascinating to me. Really, I know somewhere in. It's like, do I dream of like, man, I'm gonna write a great song that's gonna change people's lives? And hey, it's me writing song of the year, and I'm holding my Grammy. I don't have those dreams. Hmm. My dreams are, man, I know in that Prince Vault. <laughs> <laughs> There's at Let least, me in. Yeah. yeah, there's at least 41 songs. At, at least of those thousands, I know at least there's 41 songs that could change my life. Got to get to them. Like nothing change will, other people's lives or just change your life? My life. No, like, that's just dis- discovery. And, You're saying discovery and, as opposed to creation. And you know what it was? Okay, so when... I'll, I'll give you an example. So maybe a month before the, the, the Purple Rain reissue came out, when quote my connect gave me uh whatever the the the, whatever the final listing was going to be of the extra songs that were making it he sent me a particular song he sent me uh we can funk or we can fuck uh (laughs) funk uh and i can't describe it to you but in hearing it and knowing that song already and heard it and it's different incarnations of of in bootlegology. At one point, for a particular minute, I was back to being that thirteen year old. That there's nothing like staring at the speaker, discovering new music and how it made you. It just brought me back to fifty two twelve Osage Avenue and and. Yeah. The, the the bowl of cereal the my cereal bowl and the the color television with the with the set you know with the antenna so yeah it's just like I don't know if maybe and maybe that's why I also obsess over well I've explained like watch me obsessing over Soul Train isn't necessarily about me loving the show Soul Train but more or less because every episode does a synesthesia thing with me that mm-hmm. I can. I know what happened this particular day. I mean, it'd be silly shit. Like yeah, the most right. silliest one was like Shalimar's first appearance on the show. <laughs> oh, I love that one. <laughs> Shalimar's first appearance on the show in 1977 triggers off uh, a, a can of, of Pathmark No Frills spaghetti meatballs. <laughs> The Which good, the good stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Stop dismissing me, Steve. In my dreams, I'm just Stop saying that. Dreams, Steve. That's what I do. 
Hashtag sugar. No, mama. but it's it's it just takes me to a magical time in second grade yeah. at seven years old. And I mean it might be silly, but maybe that's how my memories are preserved. That's totally how mine are. Yeah, so it's almost like I don't I'm happy with you know, the Grammys and stuff. But maybe that's why they're in my bathroom. Like, <laughs> like I don't dream <laughs> of my own achievements more than I dream of preserving my memories. But I don't think that's. I think he was talking about what would be your, your best super your superpower. He said to write a great song. I'm not sure that that's answering. Though. Right, but that's the thing. Like, I never. Well, my whole point was that I never had those dreams for myself. More right. or less, okay. discovering other people's great songs but right and like putting, part, part being of that tastemaker and putting right? people onto things i feel like that's your other great thing because we we have tastemakers on this show all the time and that to me is always interesting is watching you talk to those people because they can define the culture and define music and define the i don't even the- know if i'm gonna put see that's why that's why bill is here like bill is my put people on right but you're kind of says he's the I'm like you're a conduit inspired though so. <laughs> or that <laughs> <laughs> he's old that's yeah. the point well yeah but so you're, but for you to be a, a, to to be a teacher at such a young age, like, I just really liked, you know, I was a kid. I grew up in the Bronx in the 1980s. My my dad was a community organizer. And my mom uh, stayed home with us, and then she did arts and education. So I was a real, I was like a middle class outer borough kid. I went to this gifted program that was a borough wide gifted program. Uh, in the Bronx in the eighties, which is a fascinating group of people. Um, yeah, can you explain the because like a lot of us, and by a lot of us, I mean me. Like I'm still thinking of come out and play. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, right. right. So that's you know, pretty much how it explain, was. Right? Basically, <laughs> you look like one of those. Explain guys. the Bronx and its difference. Because even now, like when I went to see Michael McDonald in the Bronx, like I was like, I wait a minute, people. You know the the thing about the thing about the first of all, New it York, just sounds tough. It has New, York, an X in New York City, it. <laughs> New York City is enormous. Each borough is enormous. Yeah. It's, you're talking about a million and a half people somewhere thereabouts. Now, the Bronx in the 1980s was in a bad way. I mean, my my dad's community organizing was basically focused on neighborhoods that were bordering the neighborhoods that were literally burning from like the Bronx is burning, right? So, arson, disinvestment, huge spike in both in crime, in in drug addiction, all those things. Um, he was doing community organizing in these neighborhoods that were sort of adjacent to those, trying to kind of hold the line against this scourge of disinvestment and 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 flight that had had taken place in the borough. Um, you know, the world that I lived in was a really interesting world in gra- in grade school that I'm I'm forever grateful to because it was very multiracial. I mean, the the borough is probably you know twenty five percent white. Um, maybe i never knew yeah it's probably like it's 70 or 80 percent black and brown and so the the program the the school i went to which was a borough-wide program you know you just got really used to being one of only a few white people in spaces all the time in school and classes in dances and all in competitions and all that stuff and i think it was a really good formative experience um and, you know, for all of the, the Bronx is burning, warriors, all that, you know, it's a huge borough with a huge working middle class. And these were people whose parents, you know, owned a bodega, drove city buses, worked as bank tellers, you know, um, you know, had working class, middle class jobs. 
and um, and you know, it was not a place with a lot of privilege, but it was it was a fascinating and culturally explosive universe. I mean, we were exposed. I was exposed. What to, year were you born? I'm sorry. I was born in 1979. So after the hip hop explosion of yeah so it wasn't like the the you know right dj cool herc like right apartment party sort of formative years but mm-hmm. <laughs> um i do remember my friend kamal telling me that his cousin was in a, a special ed music video and then showing me the the dance uh, okay. uh, <laughs> <You saw laughs> very good i have a very live memory of that right um but so so yeah and i think that it it just was a very what was interesting about my upbringing and my upbringing in the Bronx particularly was because of my parents and their education level. And then we would move to this neighborhood that was more affluent than the one that I grew up in. And then I went to a magnet high school in New York city. That's where, um, a bunch of people went, including Lin-Manuel Miranda, a mortal technique, um, a, a whole bunch of different folks, Bobby Lopez, who's, you know, got an EGOT and wrote Avenue Q and mm-hmm. frozen and with his, his wife and all these really interesting, interesting, talented people. But because of that, I had a very interesting upbringing in which I was exposed to like the full spectrum of American class status. So everything from kids in my class who were in and out of homelessness, food stamps, or in housing projects through people who had 15-room apartments on Park Avenue. <laughs> from from ages, you know, from the time I was born to the time I went away to college, I I, I had social interactions and saw patches of life in each of those different right worlds and that was really a huge part of i think my formative experience i don't i don't condone bullying but still the 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 thought of a moral technique being the school bully to you and women was <laughs> yeah. one, one of the most hilarious <laughs> it hilarious wasn't as story. funny at the time but yes in retrospect <laughs> <laughs> i think but that i think when i first met you and didn't know that you knew Lynn when you were interviewing yeah. us about Hamilton. You two told me, like, yeah, he used to throw us in the trash can, yeah. which I was like. Yeah. One of his best stories. Lynn <laughs> loves that story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. For hip-hop, for hip-hop verses. Yeah. Like, what what verse would you have to study in high school? To- you, the thing they were always making people sing Bucktown. That was the that was the thing. <laughs> they would always sing Bucktown. It was like pe- putting people in trash cans and making them sing Bucktown. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, I don't know why. That's one hip-hop crime. A I'll let, hip-hop I'll let, crime. I'll give a pass, like. too. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I want to do that to <laughs> kids now. <laughs> sing Bucktown, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so leading, leading to a colony and a nation, um, why did you feel it was necessary to, do you see this as sort of a supplement to, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates's, uh, uh, between me against the, the world, between the world and me. Oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of Tupac, yeah. me yeah. against the world, yeah, exactly. between the yeah. world and me. <laughs> Same thing. He knows what he meant. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I hope it's a. I hope it's a. For a lot of people, I hope it's a kind of gateway to a whole, a whole massive literature from you know, uh, racecraft by the by Barbara and Karen Fields, between the world and me by Tanahazi to uh, the New Jim Crow by Michelle Crow, um, by Michelle Alexander. Um, there's a, a a great book um, by James Former Jr. that actually won the Pulitzer this year. It came out right around the same time as a colony and nation called locking up our own, which is about the politics, crime punishment in predominantly black 
Neighborhoods and Cities, which is a really fascinating book, a uh, great book. The reason I wrote the book was I've always been really interested in criminal justice. I think the experience of growing up in New York City in the 80s and 90s during the peak of the kind of crime boom. I mean, 1993 or 1990. Crack years. Yeah. When I, was nine, when I was 13, I started commuting down to Manhattan. You know, New York City's got 2,400 murders a year. It's got about 350 last year. So, and that's true. All index crimes basically were the same, right? All index crimes basically reduced by 80% from the peak in 92, 93 when we were, when I was a 13-year-old walking around getting my starter caps jacked like every other day. <laughs> Whoa. First um, you bend the cat. <laughs> wait, what? In the cap. Yeah, oh, yes. No, no first slam the cap. <laughs> wait a you, that's that I, sorry. Jeff yeah, joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. with the starter cap. I just, yeah. Sorry, wow. that's where my brain went. Okay. Um, so I wanted to write about it, and I wanted to write about, I was covering, I was covering Ferguson. I was covering Baltimore, Freddie Gray. I was covering uh, some of the stuff that went down in Chicago, even before Laquan McDonald uh, and, and Eric Garner here in New York. And wanted to kind of write about it and was kind of worried about, I think I had a moment of, is this a book, is this a topic that a white man should write a book about? And I think I came to believe that actually part of the problem with the way I think particularly white people think about the system, even if they're sympathetic to the aims of, say, Black Lives Matter, is that it's essentially like some other ancillary problem. <laughs> like that's a thing that is a problem. It's not my problem. Like, it's a bad thing, and I'm. it's a bummer that happens. But I'm... It, I feel bad. I'm not implicated in it. It's like, part of the point of the book is like, no, you very much are. <laughs> we, collectively, as a democratic society, but particularly as white majorities, and particularly as white voters, have created this system that puts more people in prison than anywhere else in the world in a per capita basis. It didn't just come about. It wasn't handed down by, you know, Moses, and it wasn't the product of backroom lobbyists. It was actually... Voters going to the polls and voting for people that ran really racist ads about getting tough on crimes and crack, you know, crack thugs and things like that. And so part of the project of the book is to say, look, you're implicated in the system. We all are as democratic citizens. And the system that we built fails to live up to the democratic aspirations and promises we have. And so we should all be troubled by that. And we should all be trying to unbuild that system. And that's, that's sort of the idea behind why I wanted to write the book. Oh. Well, as far as the target audience to whom it should hit, um, how, do you, how do you propose, not even, reading, not even reading your book per se, but it's like how do you even plant the 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 seed in people's minds mm. especially where we the times that we live in now um where journalists aren't trusted that much the idea of fake news and liberal media is just oh you're just a liberal and you know, which is like instant turn off so it's like how do you it's just like okay let me just save the people that are on the fence now and i think you know it's a good question i you know the hope always, I think, when you're writing is that you can speak to people, whoever they are, if they're willing to give you a charitable read. Um, the book, it's funny, watching now this sort of national conversation that started to click in a deer. Do you see the thing about T.I. today? No. You see this? I was on the way over here. T.I. got arrested because someone called the cops on him as he was trying to get into his own gated community in Atlanta. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that that shit's real because sometimes you don't have your code. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... No, and someone was like, "Who's this dude?" Right. Yeah. And I think as we're having this national conversation about, you know, there's a Starbucks incident. There's there's been a bunch of this, and I think it's been really, really. Wait, he got arrested. I, I there was an AP bulletin as I was coming up here saying that Ti got arrested by breaking into his own for house. breaking into basically breaking <laughs> into his own house. Damn! Even the cops come up like, "Oh, you're Ti." Yeah. Well, Ooh, I, I don't. I don't, I don't they, you know. That's horrible. Clearly, they didn't. Clearly, yeah, that didn't go as well yeah. as he thought it would. Yeah. So, you know, the the book, A Colony Nation, like it starts and ends on a question of when to call the cops. Like the first the first sentence of the book is when's the last time you called the cops, and the last sentence of the book is recounting a story of me being in Prospect Park and taking out my phone and considering whether I should dial nine one one. And the reason that I started and ended with that is because I that is a thing that. You know, Ferguson or, or or the police shooting people might seem abstract to a citizen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, I'm not a cop. But people call the cops a lot. You're you're part of the link in the chain. And I think it's really important we're having this discussion right now. We, I think primarily white people, and I think people that, you know, don't want to end up screwing people over about, like, when should you call the cops? Right. <laughs> should you call the cops because someone has been at a Starbucks for two minutes? Or that people are going too slowly on the golf course? Like, I don't think so. I think you should not call the cops. I think you should not call the cops unless someone's life is in danger, basically. Well, you know, if there is if there is violence imminent or that you witnessed, if there is a danger that you're witnessing, you should call 911. Short of that... I think a lot of the times the cops are used because people are generally just afraid of confrontation. Conflict. They don't want to say, yeah. oh, they, they, of course. Of course. It's so much easier. I mean, I, and that's the... the, the you fir- do my fighting for me. Like. Yeah. And the first example I gave in the book is calling... The last time I did call the cops was when watching a, a guy basically intimidate, sort of threaten his girlfriend on the street and, and screaming at her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't want to go out there and be like... Hey, you. What are you doing? Get your hands off of her. Like, I'm gonna make <laughs> George, <a> no. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm going to make a phone call. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime 
confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's also a... There's there's a, a, a part of the book in which he explained that which I I'm actually shocked at uh, the fact that um, you were explaining about you coming home from a school dance and uh, you got accosted by uh, some undesirables. We call them thugs. Yeah, we call them thugs. And somehow I was like, wow, like that would have instantly changed my mind because even in my even in my head to this day. When I visit my childhood home, I'm still looking for Big Reggie and his cousin Lamar. Like, yep, yep. <laughs> like, I'm certain, and I hate to say this, I'm certain they're dead by now, which I shouldn't say this, but... No, it's still there. Even in getting out of my car, uh, like, as a near 50-year-old, <laughs> my first thing I thought about was... Big Reggie Lamar might be down the block. <laughs> big Reggie Lamar. Hey man, taking someone's Pac-Man money is some big shit back in the early eighties. <laughs> so, yeah, not you know like that one incident at at the arcade in, in my childhood has almost scarred me for life. Yeah, where I'm always looking, you know, I'm shell shocked, and the fact that that happened to you, and I thought like, wow, at no point were you just like dad. Why the hell are we up here? And I should be living this life of, you know, and I don't know if, if the P word is a four-letter word to white people to say, like, privileged yeah, or anything, yeah. but, like, we don't have to live here. That Like, yeah. what, why did you not ever, actually, what made you, it, you know, come to this point of understanding where think, most people don't do that? I think that, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, we were scared all the time, and we, we got, and part of that was, I think that was true of every teenager in New York City at that at that age. Like you just that happened. You got jacked. Like mm-hmm. run your loot, run your bus pass, ja- ja- you know, jacket, backpack, starter cap, whatever. You know, I think part of it was at the same time that was happening, the the ethos at my high school and at my middle school and even in grade school, although more when you're an adolescent, you're thinking about like what's cool. Everything that was cool was urban. <laughs> Everything right. that was cool was emanated from communities of color. <laughs> like right. like the center the center of gravity of everything culturally of of the worldview of what we wanted to be of the music we listened to. Everything was it was was non-white. Right. So it there and I think there's ways that you that can get real pathological and kind of fetishistic, you know, in the in in, in certain ways, but our experience of it I think was just that yeah, that was just part of being in the city, but the city was great and we were urban kids and that's what mattered and that was the kind of cultural world we inhabited. So um, to you, that was just a part of growing up in New York? Yeah, I mean, it stressed me out a lot. It def- like I, sp- I spent a lot of time scared. I really did. I walked around the city all the time. You know, my, my brother tells this hilarious story because when I was telling him about the book, he was talking about how, you know, we would all wear, everyone wore Jan Sports 
and the style was that you wore them like hitting against your butt, like the with the you know they were they 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 were all the way low on you, like the 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 loop was as big as possible. But that if you were about if something was about to go down, you would like preparatorily grab the straps it up. and pull them up to tighten because you were gonna have to book it and you didn't want it like <laughs> wait Bill, <laughs> Bill, Bill, Bill was losing, laughing Bill's in recognition Bill did that in Indiana like, for sure I'm having flashbacks right now yeah there you go. <laughs> like yeah. but Bill you're like seven feet tall <laughs> didn't matter just the moment the moment right before shit was gonna go down was always like strap like, them up like yeah. shh, like pull the pull the straps on the on the jam sports so you could book <laughs> so you can book <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you 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 uh, thanks, Steve. What I just I do people it's not a funny say book? Old, it's no. an old school term. Yeah, yeah. Old school term. <laughs> yes, I get it. Um, it's like when I say when I call my when I call my wife boo, and and the millennials in my office are like, what are you saying? <laughs> book is book is much older than, than yeah, boo. That's true, yeah, that's true. Um, you you explained. Um, how you know because you you're saying that at one point crime was at an all time high, yeah, and then suddenly, uh, it stopped. And now, as a new New Yorker, uh, I always wondered about that because when I first arrived in New York City, um, when did you move here? Well, okay, I moved here in two thousand and nine. Which I mean, gentrification are already taken over. But uh, I'm talking about when we, as a group, first started to record up here. I mean, we would stay here, but I mean, I guess technically, maybe I have lived here for 25 years and just haven't admitted it. Yeah, but uh, but the thing was is that when we first moved, ironically, on 46th Street where Hamilton is right now. Everyone kept complaining about like the Disney, the the Disneyfied yeah, occasion right, right, of right. Times Square, of which I didn't know any better. Like I didn't get that they were longing for CBS. what was. Yeah. I didn't, and I didn't even know that was there. And I was like, "Wait, this is great! Like it's it's like a mall, and there's Roy Rogers Chicken across the street, and there's a McDonald's <laughs> over there, and there's a movie theater. Like this is really awesome." And people were like, everyone complained about that happening, and then. Uh, even more recently, uh, and looking uh, for homeless people, I discovered that they've all been moved out of Manhattan. So, why were you looking for homeless people? I did a we did a, a photo shoot in which they ordered way too much food, and the interns were about to throw like twenty boxes of pizza away. Perfectly good. And I was like, nah, let's, let's give them to the homeless. But then it was like a two-hour search for... <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, like I found people in Brooklyn at a near a, a, a shelter. But at 42nd Street, when I was going through the bus station, the cop was like, Questlove? I was like, I didn't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> And I hit him. I was like, yo. I said, uh, I thought I'd come here with you know the bus station, but where, where, are, the, where are the people at? And they kind of laughed at each other like a joke, like, ah, isn't that cute? He said, nah, man, you ain't going to find them down here. And I was like, what happened to them? And he kind of leveled with me. He was a black dude, so he just leveled with me, like, yeah, dog, they, they don't lie homeless no more. Like, they, they up yeah. in, like, past the Bronx, like, in Yonkers. And I was just like, oh, 
So it wasn't because when people would say those stats, like, you know, crime is going down and homelessness and da 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 da, you're made to think like suddenly, like, you know, there are more jobs and people and, and less crime because people are more moral. But no, like, either people have been killed or thrown in jail or just displaced and put yeah that he explained about the the one-way ticket system that i never knew about there was a, a period in uh i think 2001 where if they put you on a a, a plane or a bus and someone's on the other side to get you hmm. that's how they got rid of you which isn't necessarily fixing the situation either yeah and there's there's two things about i think the way the city changed one is that it really did get less dangerous but then there's this ambient thing I talk about in the book of just like seediness. And that was such a part of what the experience of New York was, which was a little related to the threat of of danger, but also just this kind of ambient thing of there were squeegee men who would come and there were a lot of panhandlers and there were people all the time who were kind of like quasi living in subway stations. And it had this feeling. You see a lot of discourse about this around San Francisco right now. They're constantly writing about that. Like, oh, there's all these drug addicts. There's all these homeless. Mm-hmm. And New York City was very much had that feeling to it and it was a real it was a real thing um and this sense of like cleaning it up which is very loaded politically (laughs) in terms of what it means and for whom um particularly in manhattan right i mean particularly it's like well we've we're gonna clean up midtown we're gonna clean up downtown clean up the financial district clean up bryant park that was all this very much a kind of business oriented thing much more than you know communities coming together because they wanted it for their neighborhood um, but one of the complicated things about this, right, is that folks who live in neighborhoods don't love a bunch of people hanging out outside a liquor store either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of times, like it's not always just this external thing of, you know, the business district or this power structure from outside. There's always, and this is one of the things that James Warren Jr. talks about in his book, Locking Up Our Own, is like the internal dynamics of neighborhoods about who's, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, side note, I kind of missed the, the neighborhood wino. I haven't seen a good wino in about 20 years. Like You've been searching the wrong place, apparently. No, nah, man, I, I just missed the neighborhood wino. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. So so the, there was a real transformation that happened in the city and the, and the experience of it. Um, and that experience was, that was a very intentional thing that was done by Giuliani and then Bloomberg, Broken Windows, I write about in the book, like this whole thing about how there's a whole theory that there's a relationship between those two things, that if people are jumping turnstiles, it sends a message to everyone else that lawlessness is okay and then you get lots of murder. And that was that was the argument. Um, and a lot of people, I, it wasn't a bad faith argument. I think people really believe that argument. But what ended up happening is the city starts enforcing these low-level misdemeanor things, selling M&Ms on the subway, jumping turnstiles, yada, yada, yada. You can't sell M&Ms on the subway no more? Yeah, people people, Those get, little kids people like- get citations for selling M&Ms on the subway every day in New York City. Putting their feet up on a seat. Or putting their feet up or doing the Showtime thing. Oh, or, yeah. Showtime. No more performances? Move up. I move up. No. Steve prevents me from getting on the subway, so I, I would have actually Wait, really? seen this. <laughs> I suggested that he and I take the subway down there, and Steve has this thing in his mind where he has to be my protector. It's not the most pleasant place to be, you know, as with, a celebrity. Right. If that's... I've ridden the subway with him, and like nobody... I had a hoodie on. I rode a celebrity with a tuxedo on with the rest of the roots, and no one bothered us. Really? It was like Obama was. Did in you town. see that Instagram? There was Instagram of the when the Cavs were in town. Do you see that? It was pretty funny. Where, oh, I, where I they got that, where they were on the subway. They were on the yeah, subway. Yeah. Like it was like the whole Cavs squad taking the subway to Madison Square Garden when they were in town to play the Knicks. And 
I forget what happened, but LeBron is definitely on there. With, yeah. He's got a hoodie yeah. on. And I, I, I think no one recognized him. I'm pretty sure no one recognized him. I can't remember. But, but it was, it's a really funny. Like, there's, there's a woman next to LeBron, I think, who's kind of, like, making a face because they're, like, acting the fool a little bit. Right. And, and, and she doesn't like them acting up but has no idea that she's next to, like, literally one of the most famous people on earth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> See, let's take it. No, way that's to- a squad of eight foot uh, black guys, <laughs> and instead of me and you on the subway, it's a different thing. Big Steve and little yeah. Amir. Little Amir, I need protection. <laughs> so, where do you see? Do you see an end of the, to this nightmare? <laughs> Why is everybody uh, laughing? We yeah, every, and, but the thing is, well, if the nightmare that, ends, but if the nightmare ends, then we won't watch the news. I'm not saying you yourself are like. Thanks, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> well, didn't Les Moonves say like the, the, the bad for the country, yeah. good for us? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know how it ends. I really don't. I think everyone. So you don't have a vision of your head of like, okay, so you know, you got to check your phone every 12 seconds to see if no, that I Michael, do. that I do. Just, Michael Cohen got indicted. No, he didn't. I'm saying check my phone oh, to see oh, if he yo, did. Yo, dude. I'm like, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually, Manny Patinkin's come back in and yeah. tell us. <laughs> He'll sing it. <laughs> but do you <laughs> But do you I have like, this my vision? Name Sorry, go ahead. I'm going to do all my Manny Patinkin stick and row. Go. Do you have this vision of like all of them getting arrested in slow motion and, you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, look, I think everybody has their own kind of fantasies about how it all ends and... You know, I think there's some. I there's, feel like it's going to happen, but I. Here's my can I my 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 thing about this, which is a little school marmish, but I'll I'll do it anyway. Which is that I think people want some deliverance. They want a white knight. They want a Deus Ex Machina. They want some way to be rescued. They want the bad guys to get carted away. They want Bob Mueller to sort of ride in and slay the dragon. And my thing about this, which is the same theme of the book, is it's just us in a democracy. Like it's just us. It's us as citizens. It's we. No one's going to do it for you. <laughs> the work, like, that's just the way it works. It, it's the hard thing about democracies is they, they're freaking, they take a lot of exertion to make them work well. You can outsource all that shit. You can say, I'm, you know, I trust these people in charge. They're just going to do it. I'm going to show up to vote or maybe even not vote. But at the minimum, just show up and vote and be like, okay. But so even in the hands of uh, what's Stormy's uh, lawyer, Michael, Michael Avenatti. I like, mean, he's a great you, character. Do you, do, you like, roll, do you roll your he's eyes bad. at him? But do you not feel as though he has traction? He's got traction, man. Do do your thing, dude. I don't like. I don't begrudge anyone anything. Everyone's doing all this stuff. I'm just saying, the ending will. I think the ending will be written by us collectively as a society, as opposed to some squad of Elliot Ness untouchables that bring down the ring. And even though, even though I think that. There's a possibility that Bob Mueller does like indict a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. Right. I think they probably. I think people in the president's circle definitely committed crimes. That's already been established. But even worse than we know, I just think that in a in a in a deeper sense of will it be okay, the answer to that question lies with us as opposed right. to someone else. Do you believe that Mueller is all right to compare this to like a police drama um, instead of arresting? The corner boy. Okay, instead of arresting the corner boy and his drug dealer boss, that Mueller is actually trying to cast a wide net yes. amongst anyone involved. Like this is a bigger story, yeah, yeah even I bigger think, than Trump being president. I think he has gone 
all indications from the outside is that he has gone about this in both a methodical way and in the kind of way that you would attempt to go after or roll up an organized crime ring. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's been pretty clear. I mean, the stories, the craziest stories to me are the international stories where, you know, some oligarch shows up on a private jet in Kennedy and gets off the plane and it's like, uh, excuse me, sir, would the FBI come with us and like search his phones, question them, that whole thing. And that's happened multiple times to multiple people. Mm-hmm. They've got agents working overseas. So, I, you know, there's a lot going on in that. I don't, I, I don't know what ultimately that will bear out, but I, I do have a fair amount of faith in the in the diligence with which they're approaching that job. I just don't know. Okay, so in your version, this is my last question, in your version of uh, all the presidents have been, who's playing you in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm slowly... <laughs> nice. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I like who's, that. Who's playing you? Um, Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> there you go, Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you, Chris Hayes, for uh, enlightening thank you. us. Hopefully you're not too traumatized right now. Uh, on behalf of Boss Bill, uh, I'm Dave Bill, and Sugar Steve. This is uh, Questlove, Questlove Supreme, only on Pandora. We will see you on the next go-round. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 